0: Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. My name is Kevin Rogers, and I'm an urban ministry consultant with Mission Canada. This is our last episode in a series on gangland preachers. What do you think it takes to be a person of faith in a high-risk neighborhood? For those of you familiar with David Wilkerson and the history of Teen Challenge, it starts with a person who hears the urban cry. When the injustice, humanity, and tragic storylines no longer can be ignored, God's people go with the belief that Jesus can set people free. Our guest today, Mark Goring, is the pastor of Church in Regent Park, a Toronto neighborhood once known as Cabbage Town. For decades, it was a pocket of poverty, addiction, and violence. For the last couple of years, the poor are being displaced and development is erasing what once was there. This church has emerged from Church in the City, another urban church with a rich history of intersection with the poor. Part of Mark Goring's journey involved ministry in the Malvern neighborhood, where pressure from a gang led to death threats and Mark moving out of the city. The urban cry never left Mark's soul, and so he re-emerged a few years later to the ministry he now leads. Let's join now in a session recorded in September 2019 at the Our City Conference at Stone Church. Um, uh, So this session, uh, we're going to hear from Mark Goring, Uh, I remember... First time I met Mark was at a, uh, a retreat center, and uh, you had the unfortunate incident of being on a top bunk, and the top bunk
1: collapsed,
0: <laughs> and he fell to the bunk below. Was there anybody on the bunk there below?
1: was There was a gentleman I'd never met before <laughs> in his underwear, yes. It, uh, it was probably one of the more... Interesting introductions I've ever, ever had. Yeah. Yeah. It was okay after a couple weeks. I was able to walk
0: again. But, uh, it's a great, great way to meet people, you know. And uh, Anyways, uh, on a more serious note, uh, Mark uh, came uh, back into the city uh, with uh, church in the city to uh, become instrumental in planting church at Regent Park. And uh, so uh, we're going to just uh, welcome Mark.
1: All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Kevin. And it's, uh, it's a privilege to be here with, uh, with like-minded people, and I've learned a lot already and looking forward to the rest of uh, the conference. One of the most beautiful aspects of our city is the diversity, isn't it? That we see diversity of cultures, the diversity of, of neighborhoods. And uh, I've had the privilege of, of pastoring in two neighborhoods in our city. Uh, I spent 12 years in Malvern, which. Uh, it's one of the more difficult neighborhoods in our city. I think it's gone through some changes over the years and we were pastoring there for about 12 years and uh, started doing youth, got involved in community care and, and a lot of the difficult parts of the neighborhood were with youth and the amount of youth and not having a lot to do and, and the gang activity that was there and, and some of the kids that you start with at eight or nine or ten years old, that you're you're playing basketball with, you're doing junior high activities with, you still continue to maintain strong relationships with. But over time, some of them, you know, go on to finish school and get a great job, and others still kind of get pulled back into some of that gang lifestyle. and And uh, after about 11 years, uh, an incident happened where uh, there was about six guys showed up one night. that were involved in in our group for a long time. I had a great relationship with and uh, They wanted to take me for a ride and at that point um, <laughs> I knew something was up and I made a call to the police a couple of days later and, and they felt like it was my time to move on. Just because of your involvement in the community. Uh, there were times when you you know, have to appear at a sentencing hearing with one of your youth who's been shot by a rival gang or uh, there are times when you have someone come into your office and share some information that, that would likely make the community a better safe uh, place if you were to pass that along. And after three or four of these incidents, it became clear that, that it was my time and my family's time to move on. And I don't share that story to, to kind of really scare you or anything like that, but just share a little bit of the context and some of the things that we were working through. And, and uh, we moved out to another church after a year and a half in Lindsay. And we pastored there for two and a half years, but we really felt a strong tug in our heart to, to get back involved in the city. It was difficult to, to kind of throw yourself into a neighborhood and see God do some amazing things and, and be doing good things. And then have to be pulled out and disconnected from your faith family, disconnected from your home. It was something where they knew where I lived. They actually showed up at my kid's house, or my kid's school, excuse me, and so it was very clear that we needed to get out of there, but after a couple of years and things dying down, uh, we really felt God bringing us back to the city that we knew and loved, and um, Pastor David Wells came to our church in Lindsay in September of uh, of 2015 and preached a message that and was really talking about the initiatives of, of getting back involved in urban centers and, and church planning and and getting involved in post secondary institutions and we really felt like God began to work in our heart then and we got a a job posting uh, across our desk from Ted Lack at church in the city and it was an opportunity to come and, and help replant a church on the east side of Toronto and and we came down and we checked it out in November of 2016 and we walked the halls of like 40 Oak Street and Regent Park we felt like we just knew at that moment that, that God was, was bringing us back. And there's a lot of people that were saying, why do you want to go back? And, Are you sure? Are, have you lost your mind? <laughs> but, uh, but when we stepped out, we continued to see God uh, meet us. And so um, I started, while still living in Lindsay, in January of 2016, being an associate at Church in the City. The church in the city was planted by stone in 1985, and then in 1994 they uh, started a church on the east side of Toronto, and it was uh, called Cornerstone Urban Church, and it has been relaunched in in 2016 as church in Regent Park, and we started as associates in in both locations, and as the church in uh, Regent Park continued to grow, uh, we were officially launched as our own self-governing independent church about a year and a half ago, and we've continued to to grow from six people that were were there the, those first couple of Saturdays to averaging probably about 60 people on a Saturday night. And I'll talk a little bit more about, uh, about some of the things God's doing in, in a moment. But just to give you the, the context of my experience and, and being in two different neighborhoods that have difficult reputations, but, but God is at work and doing exciting things. Um, have you ever had a chance to, to walk down... Sherburne Street next block is church after that is Jarvis the next major block is Sherburne and it's such an example of diversity that exists in our city you can still see Yorkdale there's the Rogers building there and and there's a lot of affluence but as you continue to walk south you, you begin to, to touch St. Jamestown where 26, thousand people live in one block and the buildings at the time we're, we're innovative in having the transformers in the bottom of these huge apartment buildings but now we're finding is is very difficult to fix and repair and there's been flooding and fires and as you continue to move south you you get to some of the more difficult corners on the east side of the city you can see uh, Dundas and Sherburn and and uh and Queen and Sherbourne and some uh, some very difficult situations and and people that you cross paths with, a lot of people have evident uh, addictions to drugs and alcohol, and as you continue to walk south you begin to see the neighborhood change again. And there's so many different neighborhoods, I'm sure as you hear stories and, and interact with different people you can say some similarities in some of your neighborhoods but yet there's drastic differences as you cross from one street to the next. And I want to talk a little bit about my journey of of trying to to work in Malvern and trying to, to make some difference in Malvern and and taking what we learned there and, and begin to apply it to Regent Park and just knowing that neighborhoods change so drastically from one block to the next. And we're going to talk a little bit about when risk leads to reward. Now when I talk about risk I'm not talking about taking unnecessary risks. I had a chance to uh, Go to Thailand a couple times, and uh, at one point in Thailand, I made a, a bad choice. There's probably a couple bad choices in the food I chose, or what I chose to buy on the street. But there's this one in particular stands out. And uh, we were coming to the end of our trip. We were doing some English in the schools and supporting the churches there, and and uh, I wanted to make a donation before we left, and and uh, the global worker wasn't gonna be with us the next day so I said, I better just get to the bank. And so I tried to figure out how far away the bank was and, and uh, he said, well, it's about three or four blocks away, you better hurry. And I said, well, I'll just take a taxi. And so I got out and, and the only taxi there was the, uh, the motorcycle taxis. And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm courageous, I wanna try this. <laughs> and so I get on the small bike. I think I got a picture of what it looks like there, Kevin. Yeah, something like this. So this is motorcycle taxiing in in Bangkok. And I jumped on the back with this uh, gentleman that I've never met before. And uh, I decided to hold on to the back of the seat. And that lasted a whole of 30 seconds until he took off. And I was wrapped around this (laughs) complete stranger, just holding on as he's buzzing through the streets of of Thailand. And I got to the bank and... uh, I grabbed a hold of them on the way back, and that was an unnecessary risk. And when I talk about taking risks, I'm not talking about doing something that's reckless or doing something that's ill advised. But when we talk about risk in the next hour or so, it's having the courage to follow God where He directs you. Having the courage to follow God where He directs you. Being willing to, to try something new, even if no one has tried it before. Going to places where others have been reluctant to go because God wants to meet people there. There's been uh, quite a few times over the last 15, 17 years where where we've had to try something new because our neighborhood was very different than maybe the neighborhood that our Bible college was in or or the neighborhood that, that the books that we were reading were. Where we had to really be students of the culture there, whether it be setting up your church office and in a downtown office share or, or starting a, a small group for, for gang affiliates or, or helping replant a church in Regent Park, that we've had to take some risks. And when we've heard from God and, and when we've done our research, we have found that God has met us and, and continued to provide and give us fruit in those opportunities. One of these opportunities is, uh, what's next on our slides there, Kevin? Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about the church, and then I'll talk about my office. But, but this is uh, the church in Regent Park. We started uh, services, Pastor Ted and some members of uh, Church in the City. who are also involved in Cornerstone. Cornerstone has been, been serving a meal on the east side of Toronto since 1994, and it's grown to be the largest meal in Toronto. But after a number of years of not really having a worship component to the church, <clears throat> church in the city felt strongly about, about reintroducing the worship service. And so they started a worship uh, service after the Saturday dinner at 6.35. The meal would wrap up at 6.30, and then they'd start a service at 6.35. And so as we uh, continued to do that every Saturday, I think there were six people at the first service, but, uh, but as we continued to announce it and and share about it and get to meet the people that the people got out from the tables to eat and began to to join us. So this is uh, our Sunday morning life group. We found that some people weren't available Saturday evenings and and this couple right here they uh, they have opened up their life group or their condo at uh, 55 Region Park and we meet there every other Sunday. You might recognize this person right here with the beautiful pink hat She's sitting in the room right now, but you can see it's an amazing, diverse church, people from all over the world, people born and raised in Regent Park, young, old, and uh, God is just gathering people there. And uh, here are some of the gentlemen. Uh, One gentleman in in this picture is still battling with alcohol, but my friend Stephen here, he he has uh, been employed by our church for the last year or so. And... uh, He came to me recently and said, I have uh, just celebrated four years of of being sober. You see, when his mother passed away, he just uh, gave up his job in the the film industry, began to drink, began to take cocaine, and uh, he was living under a tree. He'd lost everything, and when he had nowhere else to turn, he walked into Harbor Light, Jarvis and and Richmond, and uh, opened up a Bible and was reminded of the, the power of God that he knew as a child, and his life has been forever changed. And so he went to George Brown and took a community uh, community worker program, and now uh, he did an internship with us on Saturday nights, and now uh, he is our community uh, dinner director. And uh, so that's just one of the stories that uh, we see at the church in Regent Park. You may have seen uh, this building on the news last night, unfortunately. We have seen a reduction in uh, gun violence in Regent Park, uh, as the city has invested a billion dollars there and they begin to tear down uh, the the older community buildings that were there since the 1940s and begin to create buildings like this. Uh, There has been a reduction in crime and we do see uh, many of the residents are very happy with the changes that have taken place, but but, uh, there was a gentleman who was uh, shot and he's okay, uh, but he was shot here last night But this is where my office is and uh, as the church began to grow and it became clear that uh, Church in the City was preparing to to launch us out again as our own church and the church in Regent Park we needed to to look for office space and you can imagine that uh, we're renting a building Saturday nights already to rent another office uh, our costs would begin to escalate and so we began to look for creative ways uh, for me to, to be involved in the neighborhood and to have a presence there but it not be too difficult to uh, to pay for and we came across the Centre for Social Innovation and it has three locations in Toronto there's one at uh, Bloor and Bathurst, there's one at Spadina and Dundas and there's one on the third floor of Regent Park Boulevard, uh, the Dundas, the Daniel Spectrum building and so the mission statement of this office share is to, to make the world a better place and uh, We got involved there, we attended some events there, and they were looking for volunteers. And if you volunteer for eight hours a week, you get free office space, free coffee, air conditioning, very cost-efficient printing. And uh, so we were praying about this, whether this is something that God would have us to be a part of, and one of the first meetings I had when it came to volunteering, someone said to me, he said, well, what are you doing here? What is the church? have business being here. This is this is an office. This is for professionals. What are you doing here? And at that point, I was like, maybe this isn't for us, God. Maybe this isn't the right location. But we plowed through, and uh, it's been an amazing time. I think there's maybe one other Christian out of 175 that work out of that office. There's a lot of great organizations that are empowering youth and and making the environment uh, better and, and greener. But there's some Muslim friends that I've made. There is, uh, we're actually having a chance to kind of donate some snacks for um, a Canadian Muslim event that's coming up. The church in Regent Park is providing some snacks for them. <laughs> but, uh, but it's been great to have lawyers that I could say, hey, I'm not really sure how to get this person uh, the immigration help they need. What do you suggest? Or to have uh, other people to come along and say, can you help uh, with some travel plans for my friend. They need to get to this place, to that place. And it's been amazing just serving my community, but also getting to know uh, some amazing individuals. And guess what? They want to come and volunteer and serve the marginalized in Regent Park. And so we said five or six or seven of them have come over and, and help us serve. Even though they're not Christians, they're, they're maybe of different faiths. or not have a faith, but but they come and they serve and they see what God is doing. There's actually... Someone who lives in 55 Regent Park, which is where we have our, our Sunday morning life group. And I asked her, I said, how do you think your management of your building would feel if, if we have a, a Bible study there on Sunday mornings? And she said, who cares? And can I come? <laughs> okay, sure, why not? And so that was just one example as we begin our time together of, of how taking some risks and, and praying into it and, and seeing what God is doing Has led to a great win for our church, but how did I (coughs) learn some things about taking risks? Well, I remember very early on in my time at at Malvern. This was just taken last week. (laughs) (laughs) But a student coming to me and he said, Pastor Mark, I, I have an issue. I have a challenge. I need something that I just need some advice dealing with this situation. And I thought it might have been a girlfriend. It might have been a Parent problem, and he came to me and he said, well, there's this group of guys, you know them, they live over on Wixon. and if I don't get my friend to meet them at this corner, that they're going to beat me, and I'm not sure how hard they're going to beat me, but I don't want to set up my friend, what do I do? And at that point, I was just floored. I, I didn't really have any advice for him other than let's pray. Let's just see what God will do with this situation, and I remember going back to my office and say, God, I'm I don't know how to handle this. This is just, I don't know what to say. I just feel under equipped for some of the challenges of urban ministry. And I remember going back to my desk and and just Googling urban ministry, and I came across a program at at Fuller in California, the Urban Youth Worker Program. And 80% of it was subsidized by the school, and Malvern, our church, offered to pay for the rest, and I was able to to get involved with this amazing program in Los Angeles. And uh, I, was, I flew down there for, for one week out of two years and I graduated with a, um, a graduate degree in urban youth work. One of the things we learned there was the importance of, of just knowing your neighborhood. Just having an understanding of what makes your neighborhood different. What's going on? What are the challenges? What are the assets? What, what are the opportunities? What are the threats? What's going on in your neighborhood? They had a lot text from John Perkins, who Olu Olu mentioned in his session, about just getting involved in your neighborhood and understanding how you can help and how the church can serve. John Perkins went to a neighborhood in Pasadena that we got a chance to visit. And we went, it looked a lot like Cabbage Town. It was green grass, birds chirping, nice neighborhood. And they took us to a corner and said, this was the worst neighborhood in Pasadena 20 years ago. People getting shot in broad daylight. If you had a picture of of Bloods and Crips, this was was it. And John Perkins walked up the streets and he knocked on every door and said, how can the church serve you? How can the church make your life easier? What can we do to, to help this neighborhood? Even the gangbangers were saying, excuse me, gang members were saying that they were worried about their brothers and sisters walking home after school getting cropped get caught in the crossfire and so they started an after school club and they started a school and and as different houses were foreclosed upon that they would raise money and that they would fix them up and give them to a family that they knew was going to bring some some positive things to the neighborhood if they needed money then they would sell one of these homes and that and they would raise more money and so i came back with that fresh on on our minds and I began to, to look at our neighborhood differently, not just look at the needs, and just not look over the, the overwhelming hurt and pain and violence, but begin to see how our church and the assets and the things that God had given us to help ease that pain, and help bring Christ into people's lives. One of the texts that we read was called Urban Ministry, and it's by Conan Ortiz, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he basically said, Every Monday morning, the pastors are often saying, you know, how can we do things better? What if we move the organ across the stage? Or what if we turn the lights up better? Or what if we just tweak the sound? Like, how can we reach people better? How can we serve this community better? And they're saying, outside, their community is changing every three years. That their community is different. And there was an encouragement to really understand what makes your community different. What makes your community diverse? What makes your community beautiful. So we began to look at the demographics, we began to look at surveys, we began to spend time with community residents. So the first thing that I I recommend when it comes to to turning risk into reward is to know your neighborhood. (coughs) Starts with prayer. I'm sure we could all recount a story of how our prayer walk began in the difficult neighborhood, or we've heard stories from Chicago or New York of how prayer set the stage for God to do something significant. And we see that in the New Testament, don't we? We see how the apostles and disciples were very much spirit-dependent when it came to where to go and what to do. Acts 8 mentions Philip he's returning and sitting in the chariot he was reading the prophet Isaiah and then the spirit said to Philip go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said do you understand what you are reading? Acts 16 something similar happens where Paul and his companions travel through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they had come to the border of Mycenae they tried to enter Bithynia but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to and so they passed by Mycia and went down to Troas. During the night Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Jesus' words, before he ascends into heaven, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will be made known to you. And so it starts with prayer. It starts with, with the Spirit leading us and guiding us. But we can also consult hard data. There's lots of great census from the city of Toronto. There's lots of great data from the government of Canada talking about employers and housing, language, the age of the the people who live around the vicinity of your church. I think one of the most effective resources I found was a survey that was done by United Way. And they had surveyed 2,000 residents of Malvern, of all different spectrum, very diverse grouping, and, and how they felt about their own community. And that was just eye-opening to some of the things we heard. That the majority of the community wanted to move in three years. That the community was no longer the majority Caribbean, that, that the Southeast Asian people had been moving in, the Filipinos had been moving in, but yet we had still been, been catering to the Caribbean families from our church which is great they were moving in from or driving in from whitby and ajax but yet what were we doing to to reach the people that lived around the corner from us spending time in your neighborhood i think i was guilty of time was saying you know i've been here for a couple years i know what people are feeling i know what my neighbors are are going through i I've been there, I've, but that just wasn't the case. It was spending time with them, hearing from them, knowing how we can improve their community and share faith with their neighbors. A lot of urban ministry, it, it advocates moving into that community and I am 100% for that and agree with it, and support people. but well, what happens when a townhouse in your community is $1.3 million? <laughs> and that was a challenge that we faced when we were moving back to Regent Park. We, like Olu and his family, we couldn't really qualify for, for Turkana community housing, and we prayed, and we were open, and said, God, if, if this is a risk you want us to take, if you want us to move into Regent, we're ready. If you want us to move into the beaches, if there's a, a miraculous way, God, we're not going to put... A limit on you but when things didn't materialize and we were living in one bedroom five of us for quite a few months it became clear that we just we're gonna put our kids in in school in Pickering we just didn't have any other option my son had been in three different schools and three different years and and uh, so we just did our best and again we I strongly say if you can move in your community by all means do it But not everyone may not have that opportunity. Not every door may be open to them. And I think sometimes we need to be careful about what we say to people who feel they're called to different neighborhoods. God sorts it all out. If God's calling them, if God's going to provide, God has a unique way to, to use each one of us in the city. And I've had a couple difficult conversations along the way with people that said, your church planning and you don't live in the community? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and at that point I was kind of like, well, have you ever gone to a sentencing hearing of the leader of the Galloway Boys? Oh, yeah. Have you ever had gang members show up at your kid's school? Okay. And I don't say that, to, but you know, God calls yeah. us to different opportunities and If you're investing 60 hours a week in your community, you're living incarnationally and you're you're making a difference too. How can we know where where God would have us to serve and how can God know us, what creative ideas he wants to to birth in our church if we don't know what's offered in that community, if we don't know what other churches are are doing different things, if we don't know uh, who's doing providing immigration care, who is, is, is providing legal help. And so knowing what services are offered in your community help you understand where God is leading you to serve. And so know your neighborhood is the first application. Secondly is to, to, is to know your role. Know what God is calling you to. And one of the most effective tools that I found was, was to do community assessment and this is something that Fuller was teaching and encouraging each person in their school to be doing and sometimes we only focus on the needs sometimes we 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 look at the needs and say we need this and we need that but we miss some of the assets and some of the opportunities and and we want to also focus on those areas this is actually just a Proof that I actually did it. <laughs> so this is uh, something I presented to the leadership team at Malvern a number of years ago, but, but here it is. More than a third of residents survey were planning on leaving Malvern within three years. I think I have one more example of, of what uh, my community assessment looked like on the next slide, Kevin. Malvern residents are average better educated up to the bachelor's degree level than the rest of the average uh, rest of Toronto. And so, as you look at the, the data, you look at some graphs, you look at some surveys, you begin to, to put all that together. And may not all that will be relevant, but you'll, you'll definitely say, you know, what, this is relevant for us to know. This is the, the number one employer. This is how many youth are in this neighbourhood. There is a growing number of young adults moving into this neighbourhood, which is the case of Regent Park. And so we began to, to look at the needs. And, 1994, Cornerstone Urban Church saw that there was a need to provide a meal on on Saturday night. A lot of the other weekly services weren't available, there's nowhere for people to go, and so they started a meal. And that meal grew to be the largest in Toronto. And as the church over the years has has served that meal, we found that, that meeting these needs brought a lot of reward. I think initially it brought credibility to the church. The fact that you were there, that you were you're sitting and, and helping them when they felt like no, they had nowhere else to go or, or no one else was meeting their needs, that, that it built credibility of the church. Credibility was, was not only just with those who benefited from the meal, but it began to to speak to the other residents in the neighborhood, that this church cares, that this church is, is raising mon- money to provide this meal to, to whoever comes, regardless of where they sleep, regardless of what they look like, regardless of the things that they're facing, that it began to, to help bring credibility in, in the neighborhood. It's tough not to respect Christians who are serving the marginalized neighbors that everyone wants to, to not make eye contact with on the street. And sometimes the opposite is true, where people say, well, what is this church doing? Or what is that church doing? Or or don't they see that this is happening right in their their neighborhood? And so I think meeting needs, it it builds credibility with the people you're serving, but also with your community. Secondly, it builds community. (coughs) That when you bring people from all walks of life, when we walked into the dinner on a Saturday night, we We're expecting one thing, and we saw something very different. That it wasn't just people who had an alcohol problem that needed a meal. It was people from all over the world that came chasing the Canadian dream and and didn't materialize like they expected. There's people that were just lonely. There's people with mental health challenges that that just became too complex for their own families to care for them, and they ended up on the street or they self-medicated with drugs and just the spiral continued downward. But we don't let people pick their own seats. They, they sit wherever there's a, a free seat. And it's amazing to see people from all over the world, people that have grown up in regent, people that are young and, and old, and it brings community together. One of the challenges the church faced initially was that everybody was very different. And so people may not have understood what everybody was trying to say, and there was Maybe more than one occasion where there was a tense discussion as I gave the benediction. Well, we don't give benedictions, but as I close in prayer at the end. and But it's amazing to see six months later how those people now hold hands and worship together, or how they are there for each other. And so it builds community when you meet needs and, and you bring people together. The meal has been helpful to, to bring churches of different stripes together. We have... Pentecostal Assemblies churches, and Baptist churches, and Anglicans, and Charismatics, Presbyterians, non denominationals all serving the same people uh, from week to week. And thirdly, we found that meeting needs, it, it builds, builds character. One of the, the POC churches that serves on a bi-monthly m- monthly basis brought a gentleman who was a closet alcoholic. And he came one night and he served. And, And he left in tears and and he gave up alcoholism just because of seeing what could happen if he were not going to handle on things. And We see that happen regularly. And He's been sober for for a couple of years now. One of the other unique stories is is to see people that have come up from the dinner and and come to church and been a part of our church for the last couple of years now, when we have a need to volunteer, we can call on our own church the church in Regent Park and say, hey, you know that meal that, that you used to, to benefit from, remember that meal that, that you get on a weekly basis, we need you to help provide juice, we need you to help cook the meal, we need you to serve your community. And so meeting needs, those are some of the things we found when it comes to providing a meal. And sometimes we get asked that, why do we, why do, we do the meal? Isn't there a huge cost to that? Is, what's the value of, of providing that meal? And I think not every neighborhood needs a feeding program. One of the adages you hear in Toronto is that no one goes hungry in Toronto. But we found in Regent Park and the neighborhoods that we're drawing people from that that they need a meal. What we found is we have met needs and one of the needs that we found was was serving marginalized people is that that it makes a difference. But maybe there's a different need in your neighborhood. Maybe there's a different need in Jane and Finch. Maybe there's a different need in Yorkdale. But when you meet needs, when you meet them, then it builds credibility and it brings people together and it gives a place for your people to build character. Just one verse before we move on. Reminded of Micah 6:8. Speaking to the people of Israel, but it's applicable to us as well. What does the Lord require of us that to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? So you know your neighborhood, and then you can begin to, to know your role and your place in your community. And so we look at the needs. Secondly, we look at the assets. What does your organization bring? What do your people bring to the neighborhood? What are some of the strengths that you have? <laughs> I was a part of uh, the Global Leadership Summit, one of our, our donor churches allowed me to come and, and be a part of it, and it was a very enjoyable time. I think the one takeaway that came about was, was Craig Rochelle, who's the leader of, uh, of the Global Leadership Summit now, he's talking about when his baby was born and his baby was going to be born on on christmas uh, christmas sunday and he was the only communicator in the church and the church was a plan and it was growing but but they didn't have anyone else to preach from. but he wanted to be there for the birth of his child so he filmed his message saturday night well now if you know the life church it's it's grown to be one of the largest churches in the world, but most of the time they, 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 they have a video stream of Craig Rochelle preaching. But they stumbled upon that just by accident, and God used them. And he mentioned Peter and John at the gate, beautiful, and how they came across that, that beggar there. And they, he was asking for money, and they said, well, we don't have silver and gold, but what we have we give to you. And his point was that sometimes God speaks through what we don't have, too. That God speaks through us looking at our assets and looking at what we do have. We, they didn't have money, but they didn't walk away. They gave them what they did have. And Sometimes in urban ministry, we might say, well, we don't have a building, or we don't have the budget, or our coffee isn't very good, or we don't have LED lights, but we need to look at what we do have. Because we all have assets. Sometimes people are assets. Sometimes you have people that speak languages of your community that can be so valuable in reaching out to them. It could be experience. It could be occupations that you have represented in your church. What has God given you? Because he's not going to call you to something that he hasn't equipped you for. It's very freeing. It helps you hone in on what your next step should be that we all should be playing to your strengths. Our organization should be looking at our strengths and using the God-given strengths and leverage them to reach our community. The building we rent in Regent Park is uh, the old United Church that was bulldozed uh, six or seven years ago, and they've they've built like a community hub instead. And so there's 86 units up top. Three or four families from our church actually live on top of the church, which is kind of nice. We can come find them if they don't show up. No, we don't do that. <laughs> and then on the bottom floor is this uh, community kitchen. And, and, but we only have one room for kids' ministry. And so we're beginning to outgrow that. And it's, it's kind of a challenge. And, and as we looked at that, we said, well, we can't really put a lot of our outreach into kids' ministry. Because if we were to triple or double, we have nowhere to put them. And so we had to get creative. And, and we were able to hire three young adults this summer one of them's home churches is, is Stone, and they helped us start a young adults group, because when we looked at the data, we saw that one of the growing demographics in Regent Park is 20- to 34-year-olds. Mm. And so that was just helpful to say, "You know what? We, we need to hold up a second. We don't have the room, although we'd like to, and we want to disciple our kids and we want them to grow in their faith, but we need to, to put our outreach, outreach initiative elsewhere. What are your strengths? What time are we done,
0: Kevin? Um, Since 3.30.
1: Okay. I'm good to go. may sound a little bit strange, but one of our strengths is having people who have overcome drugs and overcome addiction. And that was an issue at first. But there are three or four people that are strong, mature Christians. Some used to move drugs for the Hells Angels. Some... We know we're sleeping under a tree, like Steven. But that's a huge resource when you are seeing you know, a third of the people that come to the dinner still addicted to a substance or addicted to alcohol. Maybe your organization has a, a long history of community involvement. We'll, we'll highlight that and, and emphasize that as a strength. Don't duplicate what others are already doing well. We don't need to start a recovery program if Harborlight has one of the best ones in the city. You don't need to duplicate what Scott Mission is doing or what Young Street Mission is doing. And there was an instance where I learned that the hard way. A couple summers ago, we had some summer students from the government, and we said, well, let's just do a camp, let's do a kids program. That's what summer students do. Well, Young Street Mission had a camp. And Dixon Hall has a camp. MLSE has a camp, Toronto, city of Toronto has a camp, and there's another camp that I'm missing and all of a sudden it was like, well, you know what, maybe, maybe there's something else that we're strong at. Maybe there's something else that we can do, so we need to look for the needs, we need to look for the assets that our, that our organization brings, and thirdly, we look for opportunities when you find out what the needs are in your community, when you find what the assets that that your church has and what you're strong in, (coughs) that's where the opportunities lie. That's the sweet spot where the needs and your strengths meet. That is likely where God is leading you to take some risks. When we looked at, at Malvern, we had strong youth ministries over the year. We had a lot of Basketball and we began to move away from basketball a little bit because every church had a basketball night What about kids who play cricket? What about kids that play soccer? Someone came to us and said well, can we do ball hockey? I was like Really ball hockey? You know, it was pretty successful on Saturday morning. It still is Because there's people in your neighborhood. that are looking for something and even if it's a minority if no one else is doing it It's still a way to engage your community but we were there for 11 years, and again, some of the kids that had that grown up in our programs were very influential in negative ways. And we felt like God said, you know what, you have a relationship with them. You can reach them. You can sit down with them. And we picked a night of the week, Monday night. There wasn't a lot of other things going on. It wasn't people that they could recruit to be a part of their gang. But we sat down, and we had a meal. We went over resumes. Sweet. We helped them with their interview skills. We brought different speakers in. And it was a very effective way because no one else had a relationship with those kids like we did. We're not bragging, but it was an opportunity where where there was a lot of other organizations were trying desperately to make a difference. But because we'd been there, because we'd served them, because we loved them, because we've done funerals for their friends and their brothers, they trusted us and we had a chance to influence their lives. That was one of the opportunities that we came up with. What are some of the examples of opportunities in your community? Well, maybe there's new housing that's going in. Maybe there's new sports field. Maybe there's some people in your church that could offer an ESL program or could offer tutoring free of charge or ask offer music lessons. But between the needs and the assets, that is where the opportunities lie. And lastly, look at the threats. In other words, the p- potential challenges. And so there was a, our attendance on a Thursday night of our youth went, went down drastically. And that was a threat. That was something that we had to be aware of. That was something that we had to, to make sure our kids were safe. Two-thirds of your community planning to pick up and move, that's something that that may be something that, that you want to have your pulse on. Maybe funding changes. There's been a, a recent change in some funding when it comes to community use of schools, that the prices have gone up and that's affected some of our programming. And so those are some examples of threats. Maybe threats is too strong a word, but challenges. What? What are some things that you need to be aware of? Ephesians 5 says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I think there were times where maybe I was unwise and how I was launching out, and maybe there were times where some of the people we were working with, I, I should have been, more aware of how far in to the gang they were. Maybe I should have been a bit more careful when I showed up at Tyson Riley's sentencing hearing and sat with my friend who he shot and the ramifications that would have for my family. I don't think I was arrogant, it was just me being a little bit naive. Now God is great and God protected us and there's more details to the story that I kind of breezed through earlier. But at one point, God said, you know what, do not get in that car with that individual. And I didn't know why, but I believe God protected me and watched over me, and God does that for us. But I think, looking back, I probably could have been more wise about how evil and some of the, the difficult things that are work in our neighborhoods. But God has His shadow, keeps us in the shadow of his wings, and looks out for us, and cares for us. We've grown from a couple people at our first service to, to 65, on, on a, and we don't, don't say that to brag, but it's it's there's been some growth, and all of a sudden we need to, to have a harder look at, at where we're putting our outreach energy. The, the size of our staff is, is still the same, and we just need to empower more leaders. We need to, to, to look at, at how and what we do next, and we believe God is between the need and the and, and the asset having young adults in in our congregation that, that they helped pull together a young adults group, and we feel that that's maybe something that God is, is calling us to, to to get involved in and to get active in. But when you do this kind of work, when you pray into it, when you put together a community assessment, it helps bring clarity for, for what the next step is, for what the next opportunity is that God is leading you to. We can't do everything and no organization should try to do everything. But a community assessment is a great foundation to examine your mission, your vision and values that keep you anchored and focused on what God is calling you to. And so after three and a half years since we had our first service, we just two weeks ago uh, released a new mission and vision for our church and I'm working through speaking through the uh, the the values and I think I have the the mission and vision here. So our our new vision is to create create an inclusive just and loving community which transforms lives and heals brokenness by loving like Jesus and the mission is to lead others to a life-changing relationship with Jesus by serving them at their place of their need. And One of our challenges is that there's one full-time staff when we had six people, and there's one full-time staff when we have 100 people. And we've had to empower people, and we've had to train people up, and when you get to 30 people, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, uh, who's going to count the offering? You've, I, you've been here for a month, right? Okay, what's your name again? Well, okay, I'll show you how. And that's how it was initially, but it was... You know, you get to know people over time and you begin to empower them and, and God provides people to step up and, and to lead and they get behind you because they see the good that your church is doing in your neighborhood. And lastly, it's, it's fulfilling to be where God has called you to be at that season that he wants you to be there.
0: I think part of Mark's effectiveness is his non-threatening friendliness. He loves people as they are and he has a humble gravitas that makes him approachable. He truly is a gift to Regent Park. Check out the links in the show notes and maybe you will want to find ways to support the good work going on there. For our next two episodes, we're going to present a recent conversation I had with a panel of people in ministry on both sides of the border discussing how Christians can respond maturely to racial tension. You'll want to hear this two-part race talk featuring Chris Cobbler and Nellie Latchman from Windsor, Ontario, and Joshua Bowers and Kellen Brooks from Detroit area churches. So get ready for our Canada Day episode on July 1st. Until then, keep one ear to the sky and another to the ground in your city. I'm Kevin Rogers, and you've been listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.